God is not a God of the same. He's a God of more, and he's a God of new. We don't worship and believe in a God of same old, same old. We worship a God of what now and what next. You know, same after a point becomes stagnant. In any relationship, in any career, you're there forever, nothing changes. Like, well, where am I going with this? There's something God's put in us that hungers for growth. But growth demands change. You cannot both grow and stay the same. You cannot both move into new places and keep things safe. They're just different, right? Safe is stagnant, but change is required if we're going to move, if there's going to be something new. Um, you can't even have more of the same and stay the same. Are two kids the same as one? It's just more of the same. Are ten kids the same as two? No. No, they're not. More of the same is different. More years in a marriage means different. More means different. And I think this brings us to places in our lives where we're kind of like standing at the crossroads of what next. And how do we have confidence about where to go? How do we know where God is calling us to stay put? How do we know where God is calling us to move? That confidence in decision making is one of the trickiest parts of being a person. But believing in a God that knows what's coming next means that if we can just listen to him well enough and just know how to respond to him faithfully enough, we'll find ourselves taking the right next step. We'll be along in the right direction. I don't want to be the same person next year that I am now in my marriage how frustrating would that be for my wife? As a pastor, how boring would that be for you if I just, like, every January just started over again and preached the same sermon every time and had the same jokes? After a while, you stop laughing because there's no humor in the thing you've heard again and again. So I'll practice my jokes. Don't worry, I'll get better. But actually, you just want a different Dave if you want a different message. And so that means Dave has to change. And in your marriage, you need to change. And as Christians, we need to grow. We can't stay where we are. And the word we use for this, the right word for this, is calling. God calls us places. But it's also a tricky word because we make it out to be more than it actually is. We think of someone who's called to ministry. We think of someone who's called to a foreign mission field. Think of someone who's called in this way. We're going to look at Moses in a burning bush. We're going to look at Joshua meeting an angel. And like, I've never had a bush on fire in front of me talking to me with the Lord's voice. So how am I supposed to know? But actually, we need to kind of like debunk that myth a little bit. God constantly is calling us into things. He's constantly calling us into conversations, and those are day by day. He's constantly calling us into decision-making. What did I hear yesterday? <clears throat> I don't know if it's accurate or not, but someone threw out a number there, like we, we make 30,000 decisions in a day, or some ridiculously large number. Probably true. Probably exhausting. Probably no way to get them all right. But actually, every decision is an opportunity to say, God, what would you have me do? Where should I go? And so... If we are waiting for this clouds to part and the skies to open and a voice to come down from heaven, maybe we'll never feel like we heard God talk to us. But I think when you look at the people who actually did have God talk to them, you realize there are these common elements in them. It isn't always a burning bush. 
but it's always the same pattern. God does speak to us, and I want us to be a kind of people that even though we have no earthly clue what's coming down the road, we have absolute confidence in the next step we're supposed to take. All of us have steps we're supposed to be taking. Moses did, Joshua did, we do. So the question isn't, how far are you going to get? The question isn't, where are we going to end up? The question is, God, where are you calling? And if you want to put this mental picture, picture God over here, calling us, and us standing over here following the call. The call is always, come to me, come with me. And this is actually a huge relief. So before we read our things, let me just point this out to us. We do not have to decide who we're going to become when we grow up. It's not our decision anyway. We do not have to self-make ourselves, a self-made man, a self-made woman. God forms us, spiritual formation. All we need to do is listen, pay attention to the signs along the way, which God will give us, and then follow him. We're not trailblazers. We're really obedient sheep that have a really loving shepherd. Jesus said to the fishermen, follow me, right? And then he went. Jesus is going. Really, the only question is, are we going to follow? So the calling is much more about listening than it is about the calling. God calls, God moves, God does, God is amazing. But sometimes we don't know how to listen. Sometimes we're too scared to move. Sometimes we are unsure. That's what I want to talk about today. So we're going to look at both Joshua and Moses. And I think even though there's such seemingly big circumstances in their lives, there are five common elements of what it looked like for God to call them. So I wonder, do we see those things? And there are five things that they did in response to God. I wonder if you're willing to do those things. And five principles, man, like if we could just live like that, then every day we could be called by God. So let's read from their stories and hear what it might have to say to us. Joshua chapter 5 is where we start because that's what we've been reading through. We're going to read the next uh, portion of Joshua's story. And then we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 3 and uh, see the parallels. <coughs> At first, I remembered this part of Joshua's life as just an encounter with an angel, and I completely missed and had forgotten the most important part. So this is what happens in Scripture. You remember, like, half of it, and the other half is amazing to you. It, it was there the last time you read it. it. I promise, it was there. But we miss it, we forget it, and then you come back to it, and you're like, oh, that just brings so much more meaning. So the phrase to me that stood out was, the angel says to Joshua, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals. I'm like, I don't remember that. This is the same kind of encounter with God like Moses had with the burning. Take off your sandals. I thought that was just Moses. No, again, God speaks to his people. Does it the same way for Joshua. So let's just read this moment. It's chapter 5, verse 13 in the book of Joshua. The story, the historical account of Joshua. Let's read it together. So it says, when Joshua was by Jericho... So he's on the plains. We know we've kind of progressed past the Jordan River. Now he's on the plains, probably looking up at this big city. <coughs> he lifted up his eyes <coughs> and looked. So there's his first action. You can notice that as we go by it. He looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So Joshua went up to him. Joshua's second action. Make note. And he said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? This man says, eh, neither. That's weird, right? The angel's there, but not for Joshua. 
He's not for Joshua, but he's not against Joshua. Who is this man? He says, no, I am actually the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. So third army on the battlefield. <laughs> There's us, our enemies, and God. And God arrived when the time was right for God to do what God needed to do. It wasn't just Joshua fighting, and it wasn't just what he could see. There was a whole other reality happening here. So Joshua fell on his face to the earth, realized who this man is. And he worshipped him, worshipped the angel, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. So Joshua did so. Now, Jericho was shut up, it was closed, inside and outside, because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, and thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, the ark of the Lord. Um, and on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, <coughs> and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And so Joshua proceeded and he obeyed. And we'll go into the actual battle next week. What we're talking about here is how Joshua knew what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to do it and when he was supposed to do it. This is a little bit reminiscent to me of a story that Elisha lived through in 2 Kings. Do you remember him and his servant were in a city and the army encamps around the city and the servant comes up and him is terrified. They're looking out over the city walls. How are we going to defeat this massive army that's against us? And then Elisha, who had learned how to listen to God and who had learned how to look for him, who was not just looking at things at an earthly level, said, God, please open this man's eyes. And so he mentored his servant. His servant then could see. And he looked around. He was surrounded by an army of angels. And actually, people didn't have to fight that battle at all. What ends up happening is Elijah and the angels, they lead the whole army into a completely different country. Completely disorganized, confused, whatever, and the battle never even happens. God just saves them miraculously. And so I, I had that in my mind as I was reading this, realizing there's a whole angel army that's encamped on the plains of Jericho that no one can see, not even Joshua. And yet this angel says, actually, no, I've arrived and I'm here. So they were there before he knew it. They were ready to go before Joshua was called to go. And they're encircling the enemy. I wonder, were the angels the ones, maybe, that pulled down the walls of Jericho? Were they around, an angel on all sides, and when they shouted, when they, did they pull? Because the Jews didn't do anything. The walls fell. How did those walls fall? Well, there was a third army on the battlefield. And I think it's fascinating to wonder how it worked, what was going on spiritually as well as physically in that moment. But Joshua recognized, okay, I'm in the presence of someone holy here. There's a switch I need to point out to you in... Um, who is speaking so that we don't get it confused and then we'll read Moses and hear his encounter with the Lord and see what we can take from them. The angel introduced himself as a commander of the Lord's army and then as he tells Joshua to take off his sandals, then it says, then the Lord spoke to Joshua. So the angel ushers Joshua into the Lord's presence and then the Lord speaks. Uh, this again is the miraculous sign. This is just like the burning bush. Moses sees something. 
He had eyes to see. He goes up and he looks at it. And then out of that encounter, a voice comes to him and tells him what to do next. So would you read that with me? Just so we can put them side by side. We're back to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. All right. So put them side by side in your mind. As we read this one, another encounter, so many similarities. What is the same? What's different? The differences are beautiful as well. And differences even might speak to us a little bit more uh, deeply. We'll see. Exodus 3, 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked. And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. His attention was caught. He saw. He went up to investigate. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, you know, oh, here's a willing person. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to skip here because I want to do the parallel places in the story. Move forward to the beginning of chapter 4. This is after God gives Moses his name. Then God gives Moses more instructions about what's ahead. So in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answers God. He says, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They'll say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. It became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. And he put his hand back inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made a man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Therefore, go, I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Lord, please send someone else. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. <coughs> you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Take in your hand this staff, 
with which you shall do the signs. Both men met God. Both saw something miraculous. Both went closer to explore. Both had God speak to them. But Moses is the one who is fearful through the entire event. I don't think I can. What if this happens? What if that goes? So for all of us who are perpetual worriers, that's fine. God's got you. He didn't let Moses' worries stop him from getting where he was going. He just kept working with Moses and saying, put that fear to the side. I've got you. Put that fear to the side. But with Joshua, we don't see the same fear. We just see someone that's like, I don't know what to tell you. God spoke to me. He said, go. So we go. It's a very simple faith. It's a confidence without all the extra. God didn't need to do 10 signs for Joshua. He just needed to speak. And to me, this is a beautiful Beautiful thing. And the first common point that I see between all of them, there's like an inevitability to God's call. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. God's going to find you. We actually spend too much time worrying, how will I know if God calls me? You will know because, hello, he's God. You're not going to miss it. He will find you. And if you are Moses and running away for 40 years, hiding as a shepherd, he will find you. And if you're right where you're supposed to be, on the plains of Jericho, after having seen a miracle, he will find you. He will talk to you. And if you're faithful to him every step of the way, he will find you and talk to you. And if you're a slacker and a backslider and a mistake repeater, he's going to find you. Don't worry that God can't find you. That's not the question. God will find you. Don't worry that because of your failings, God won't be God. It didn't matter about Moses' failings. It didn't matter. What mattered is that God had a purpose. And so the first point of commonality is just relax a little bit, worrying if you're going to miss God's voice. If God wants to talk to you, he's going to talk to you. That's not the question. But there's a response that's needed, a call and a response. So the first common thing in all the call is that you will know God is doing something. And you might not know what it is, but you'll feel it and it'll be like urging you. But our response has to be, here I am, Lord. Talk to me. Do you notice how Joshua looked? Are you looking? Some of us don't even bother looking around for God to speak. We're too busy with our lives. Open your eyes. Look for it. Look for God to speak. And then when you see something, when God catches our attention, go and investigate. Joshua goes up to this man who he doesn't know. He says, who are you? Are you for us or against us? And he's like, I'm for God. So actually, you get to decide if I'm for or against you, because I'm for God. So you tell me. And Joshua's for God, so this angel and his army was for the same purpose. There's an inevitability. God initiates. God seeks us out. Our job is to respond. The second point of this common area, God will get our attention with something. Um, you know, a, a very familiar sort of example we could use is, is someone has a car accident or a, a scare with cancer or something that's potentially life-threatening, right? And afterwards, you're like, that really got my attention. I'm going to make the most of life after this because I didn't think I would be here right now. Well, that's the attention-grabbing moments that God gives us. He can use a car accident. He can use a fear. He can use a pandemic. He can use a new job, a loss of a job. He can use the birth of a baby. Oh, man, this event 
has made me want to know what I'm supposed to be as a parent. We must investigate. So if God calls, and that's the first thing that we can just be confident in, the first thing we need to do to respond is um, not procrastinate, not ignore, not deny, not be too tired, not be too busy, not be too apathetic. We need to respond to those calls. Another element of calling that we can see for all of us is that when God calls, it's a call to action. Um, this is important because sometimes when we think of a calling, we think of like a title. That's wrong. That's not the way to think about it. My calling is to be a pastor or a missionary. No. My calling is to be a teacher or a parent. No. <laughs> Almost. No. It's a call to action. So if you are a parent, your calling is to invest spiritually in your kids. If you are a pastor, your calling is to teach or to lead or to counsel. Like your calling is points of action. If you say, I'm called to be a husband or a wife, that doesn't just mean you wear a ring. It's a series of actions. We're called into action. So God doesn't appear to Moses and just say, okay, you are going to be the leader. He calls Moses and says, do these things and go in this direction. And he comes to Joshua and he says, take this step. Go forward in this way and you will see how I will bring everything together. So oftentimes we're waiting for a calling to be a call to like answers or conclusions. This is how it's going to turn out. This is what it's going to be like. Most of the time I see God calling people to steps of action, trusting that God knows how it's going to turn out, trusting him with the results. The most clear example I've had of this part of a call, um, which relates to our family and New Hope and the season that we're in, the, the clearest example I had of this was with Michelle on our last sabbatical. So that was seven years ago now. And um, every five years, uh, the church is gracious and gives us extended time off, take some summer months and just pray, rejuvenate, read, hear what God is saying, come back with new energy and ideas to lead. Obviously, two years ago was pandemic. So we didn't take sabbatical in the pandemic. The whole world took the sabbatical. We're, we're going to do ours maybe next summer or um, we'll see what the timing is on that. But those times of stepping away are for God to speak. So the first one we took was uh, five years in. So that would have been... 20, 2011 maybe? 16, 16. That was the first one. That was five years in. And at that point, it was right in the middle of ministry. Been a pastor for just five years. Like if you think about a life cycle of a church, that's only like five Christmases and five Easter's. Like that's a very short time. Five years is very small because so many things happen on this once a year cycle. And you're like learning how do I pastor? What does this even look like? And so went away and came back from that sabbatical and just had this burning desire to preach through everything that Jesus said and taught and did. And so for the next five years, that's all we did. We just went through the gospels, preached every word, every miracle, every parable, everything. And it was just this wonderful, immersive thing. But something happened along that way too, that during those five years, life 
was hard. Church was hard in some ways. Uh, more kids. We kept having kids. I don't know why. We thought it was a good idea at the time. But it's just more complex, more exhausting, more tricky. And so by the time we got to that second sabbatical, our decision wasn't, all right, Lord, what should we be teaching? The question was, all right, Lord, should we go back? Is this still where you've called us to be? We're at a decision point. And so we were kind of wrestling, okay, God, what's the next step? We'll go wherever you call us. And so Michelle and I, remember this, I'll, I'll never forget this moment. We were asking this question of the Lord, praying him, where do you want us? What do we do? What does it look like? And we're up in Maine on Lake uh, Madawaska. It's like all the way up near Fort Kent. It's where Michelle's um, grandmother had a cabin up there. And um, so like nine hours drive up into Maine, and we're there with the kids. And one evening at the end of that, a couple of days before we're due to come back, the kids are sleeping inside. It's night. It's Maine. There's no lights. So you can see every star God ever made in the sky. It's amazing. And we're, we're standing outside looking over the lake. And um, this weird kind of like orange glowing light thing kind of floated down uh, out of the sky. I don't know how to describe it. About this big maybe. Maybe this big, small, orange and just floated down. And she and I are kind of like, okay, what is this? And, and it started floating along the road. And so she and I walked for a few minutes, maybe five minutes down the road, and it just kept floating in that direction. So it's like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. She doesn't know what's happening, but it's happening. And I'm like, okay, uh, is this a sign? Is this a freak occurrence? Is this like a Chinese lantern that someone set up and is floating down the road? Like, what is happening here? And as we got to the end of the road, it just kind of floated away over the woods. And we stood there for a long time in the dark in Maine, just thinking and saying, what is that supposed to mean to us? And we both had the same thought come to us at about the same time. We realized that that road just heads straight south. And we looked at each other and said, you know what? That light is floating back where we came from. It's going home. It's going back to where we've come from. And all we've been asking God is, where should we go? Do we return or do we take a different path? And I said, I feel like maybe that's God's way of saying, just go home. You know, your, your ministry there is not completed. The work that you could do there is not yet finished. And there was no voice from heaven, but there was this weird light. And I didn't have to manufacture the light. You know, like, will God call you? Will he do something? Will he show you a sign? You don't have to make that stuff happen. You may feel like, oh, that stuff doesn't happen. Well, I don't know what happens or what doesn't happen, but I know that happened, and I know I didn't make it happen. And it happened just at the moment that we were saying, God, please give us a sign. Show us some way to know what your will is. But that light had no information. That light had no promises attached to it. That light had no knowledge of what we would be like when we came home. And yet we felt like this is a way that God can show us where he wants us to go. We've been asking for this. And we had like a settled feeling in our heart. This is a sign that God gave just the two of us up on the, the shore of a lake in Maine. And so we came home. And we came home not knowing what there was to preach. Because I remember the difference. I remember when I came back from the first sabbatical, I had 10,001 ideas ready to go. I was like ready to teach, ready to preach, ready to go. And that's what that time was for. And this one I came back and I had nothing. I had no ideas. I had no vision for the future. I had no idea where God was going to take us. Just a feeling like this is where we are supposed to be. So we come back and just start sort of like doing stuff, you know, family stuff, pastory stuff, churchy stuff. I don't know. Just see week by week, God, what will you have us do? But, you know, it was right at that moment 
that God started bringing in the whole new season that we're in the middle of right now. It was right then we started having conversations like, well, what is church really supposed to be? It was right then that we got introduced to people like the underground church in Tampa. It was right then that started reading books like Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church. It was right then that all these things started happening and God was paving the way for a whole new season. Did we know then that we would be, you know, seven years later, heading to a community center style of outreach, that we wouldn't be just trying to be an educational center, but we'd trying to be living on mission for the Lord? Did we know then that God would have all these plans for us? No. But we just knew the next step that we were supposed to take, and that was enough. And that's a calling. A calling is not answers. A calling is not conclusions. You do not know, have, have to know where you're going to end up. You just have to feel like, I feel like I'm supposed to take this step. And then you take a step and you see what God does. And you take another step and you see what God does. And I am so grateful today that God didn't call us somewhere else. Because I believe that he would be doing the same thing at New Hope that he's doing. It's just his will for New Hope. But I wouldn't be getting to enjoy any of this. I wouldn't get to be a part of all this amazing stuff that God's doing. And I'm so grateful to be in it. I'm very grateful for that blind step. That confident but unknowing step. And that's what God wants from us. He will find us. Our job is just to say, okay, God. And he won't tell us everything, but he'll tell us enough. Two more things we could say about these two men and their calling and what it can look like for us. God's mission is always going to be to save people. God's mission is always to save people. God's mission, therefore, your mission and my mission is always to save people. Why did he send Moses to save the Israelites out of suffering? Because he saw how bad it was and he had a heart for them. Why is he sending Joshua? Because he's delivering the Israelites. He's saving them from the wilderness, from wanderings. He's bringing them into the land that he's promised. Why does he call someone to be a pastor? To help him reach people, to save people. Not to organize a church building or run a, a religious nonprofit organization or to just speak words into the air. It's for people. Why did he call you to be a parent? It's for your children to help save them from the world that wants to destroy them. Why does he call someone to help feed the homeless? Because <clears throat> God wants to help save the homeless, physically with food they need and spiritually with hope in Christ. God's mission is always to save people. So if you want to know if God's calling you to something, just ask that question. Is this going to help save people? Because if it's not, it's probably a calling that you want to have, something that might benefit you, something that might be nice to do, I don't think it qualifies as a calling. Because why would God call people into a mission that doesn't further his purpose of saving people for eternity? Why would God call us into a mission that's completely self-serving? Why would he call us into a mission that doesn't go anywhere or do anything or help anyone? God's always looking to save people. His mission in Christ, to save people. Our callings must align with that. Is God calling me to this or that? Ask yourself which road will help bless and save people, not just yourself. Like, oh, well, God could be honored by that. And you may feel like that's both paths. Okay, well, then in this criteria, either one could satisfy that question. 
Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I go there? Should I not? Which one will be good for others? Which one will glorify God? And then uh, the last point I'll make is about signs. I believe in signs. I believe God gives signs. I don't think you can say, hey, God, give me a sign, and then something appears. But I think when you have eyes to see, you realize that God's always talking. And sometimes the sign is you flip open your Bible or the verse of the day and the scripture that you just happened to come across speaks to you. Sometimes it's a phone call from someone that couldn't know anything where you're going through but called you at just the right moment. Or sometimes there's something physical, something visible, like a light in the sky. God uses signs. He always has. He, he hasn't stopped doing that. But I think in our modern kind of intellectual world, we dismiss that too quickly. Be looking for signs. It's not the first point I made because it's not the most important, but it should be a point that we make. We see it in these two men. What were the signs? How did they pursue? How did God speak to them? All right, let me, let me tie this together with the main points that I just don't want us to lose. Because I know actually in this room, there's dozens of us <laughs> that are trying to make decisions right now that will honor God. I know that because we talk. And I love that about all of us. I want you to feel like when you're at that crossroads, you're there with God and the angel of the Lord is there with you, helping direct you. So think about these facts. Please personalize these to your situation. First one we've already said, calling is always following. You don't need to make your future. You don't need to know your future. You don't have to decide who you want to be when you grow up. Just follow God. You must be good at following God. The New Testament calls this keeping in step with the Spirit or living by the Spirit. Be a follower. So when you and I pray about these decisions that are going on in your lives, let's not just say, this is what I think or this is what I want. Let's say, I felt like God said, or I think God might want. So we're being followers, not decision makers. It's huge in calling. A calling, we, we can't make or manufacture our callings. We respond. <clears throat> the next one is, uh, I kind of termed it macro calling versus micro calling. So like the big call. You, you should be called to faith. There's a call to faith that each one of us has. That's a big thing that happens once in your life. Turn to Christ. But then there are all these little moments all along the way, the micro callings, the little moments where Jesus says, call this person, where Jesus says, confess this sin, where Jesus says, stop, where Jesus says, go. We need to be good at both, not just being called to faith. I've been called to Christ, but I've been called to action, little calls to action. Don't be afraid of saying, I feel called by God. And then saying something really small and insignificant after that phrase. Because <laughs> it doesn't have to be world-changing. It just has to be a lifestyle of obedience. So be good at the micro-callings. This next one I know we've talked about. I'll say it again. Uh, steps versus answers. Be good at taking steps. Be good at taking steps. God will bring the answers in due time. Everything must be built upon the pursuit of God. So I feel God calling me to take this promotion at work. This is actually a very specific scenario and conversation that I've had with people in the past where in the midst of that conversation, we're kind of wrestling with how do we know that the promotion's from God? What if the promotion's going to be the worst thing for your family and your marriage? 
I got a promotion. Praise God. God's showing me favor. And now it means that I'll work longer hours, be on call, carry more stress, and work some weekends, and travel all the time. What are your priorities to your family? How is that going to impact you, carrying all that stress and then coming home from work? Could be a beautiful thing. A promotion can be from the Lord, and a promotion can be straight from hell. <laughs> there are some promotions you'd be like, no, I love my family and my God and myself too much to be promoted and take more of your money for what the trade-off's going to be in my life. So the question is, how can we pursue God? How will that promotion help you pursue God better? Oh, I might have influence over this other group that I could be a Christian in a broader context and represent him well. Awesome. I could provide for my family. Maybe there's a break-even point for you financially that you're not meeting. So the promotion actually helps you care for your family in a way that's not happening yet. Praise God. I'll pursue you. That money will not just go to uh, a newer car, uh, remodeling of the living room, uh, the things we like but don't need. It'll go to the needs. It's God's provision for needs. Jehovah Jireh. Everything we do has to be a pursuit of God. Was Moses' calling a pursuit of God? Yeah. God's going to save people. Moses, come along. Fine, bring Aaron with you. Fine, I'll give you all these signs. Fine, you're worried about it, but we're going to do it. Was Joshua pursuing God? Yeah. God has an army ready to tear down some walls. He just needs his people to be there as eyewitnesses. He needs his people to be obedient to see what he's about to do. They pursued God, not just their mission. And the one that we end with is the one that we started with. Uh, movement is going to require change. You cannot follow a calling and also not follow the calling. You cannot be called to action and remain inactive at the same time. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. So it means we have to be willing to give up things in order to move towards other things. Movement requires change. But change is growth, too. Change is opportunity, but change is scary. And I think as I looked at these two men, the, what I settled on as most impactful to me is just the calling is really more about our response than it is about God's calling. He speaks. It's up to us as to whether we're going to listen. Uh, he nudges us in ways. You know, can you think of any ways where God might be saying, like, do this thing, or reach out to this person, or, or mentor this person, or help in this way, or serve, or give, or love, or something? And then we ask ourselves, well, what are we actually doing about that? I feel so convicted about that all the time. I actually haven't done anything about that thing that I know is good to do that a few different times God's been tapping me on the shoulder about and just no follow through. So it's just not happening. That's not on God. That's on us. So the more important than the calling and recognizing when God speaks to us is our response, being willing to respond in a Christ-honoring way. One last illustration. I won't read it, but it's a story from Scripture that you know well. And it's where I want to encourage you to move with this concept, what to do with this. It's um, the story of Samuel when he was a young boy, and he's in the temple, and he hears a voice calling out to him. And that voice says, Samuel, Samuel, but he goes and talks to Eli, right? We're very familiar with this story. Eventually, as Samuel starts to feel God's call 
on his life, he has to go to someone who is more mature than him in the faith, who has more experience with hearing from God and discerning what that looks like to tell him, oh, this is what it feels like when God starts tugging on you. The next time you have that moment, say, God, speak. Your servant is listening. It took someone who has learned how to listen to the Lord to coach the newer believer in what that feels like and sounds like. So if you are in a place where you are looking to discern whether or not God is talking to you, find another Christian. They may be with you as a peer in age, or they could be older than you. They could be anything. But find another Christian and say, how do I know if God is speaking to me? Joshua wanted to confirm it, right? Like, is this from you? Moses wanted to confirm it. Is this from you? We want to know, is this from you, Father? Find a partner. Find a teammate. Don't do this discernment process alone. It's always been about God's people together. And we don't always know what it looks like. So parents, talk to your kids about what it looks like when you're trying to listen to the Lord. Or if there's been a moment or two in your life where you're sure, tell them those stories. Tell them what it was like. And if you're at a point of decision as well, uh, don't just try to go it alone. Ask someone, do you think this is God speaking? What should I do with this? and move into the process together. We always end our services with celebrating of communion. And if you recognize um, with Joshua's story, there was take off your sandals. Have you ever thought about why the sandals? with Moses, take off the sandals before you come into God's presence. In my mind, it means two things. One, it's take off all the dirtiness of your travels. You've been walking through the dust to get to this point, but this is a point where you need to be sort of like clean before me. Take off those dirty shoes. But also, don't let anything come between us in this moment. I don't even want a strip of leather between your feet, God says to Moses, and the warm earth that you're standing on. Be completely vulnerable before me so that I can speak. So take off all of our own wishes and desires and intentions, all the things that we use to go from A to B and just sit in his presence and let nothing come between him and me. Now, in Joshua's case, there was a circumcision that had happened just a few days before, right? So he was kind of prepared, but still, the angel says, take off those shoes. And maybe you know, maybe you don't, but in Moses' story, as soon as he's done talking with the Lord, he goes along the way, and it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and his wife circumcised him on the way back to Egypt so that Moses could be right with the Lord. Joshua is about to follow the Ark of the Covenant into battle. God goes first. Moses is carrying the staff of God. God goes first. Both of these men are following God, and what it took for them to do that was to be completely vulnerable and honest and open before him. Nothing between them and God. No dirt, no sin, no travels, no scrap of clothing, anything that would prevent them from having direct contact, being in the presence of God, his holy presence. And so that's kind of what I want to give us a moment to be able to do here together as well. We want to follow Jesus, 
right? We want to go where he sends us to go. We can't just run into it. God's not someone to be taken lightly. And God's calling isn't something to be just, oh, I think it's this, and then go wherever we feel. We need to be right with God. We need to take a moment to confess, take a moment to share with the Lord where our heart is at, um, so that as he speaks to us and as we follow through in his calling, that we have clean hands, clean feet, clean heart, clean lips, to be able to carry through um, on what he's called us to do. So please, I'm going to ask you to just take a moment here. We're not going to go into our breakout groups as we sometimes do. We're just going to take a moment for prayer, and um, then I'll call us up, and uh, we can celebrate communion together as we sing our closing song. But take a moment to kind of take off your shoes before the Lord, not be in such a hurry to get where you're going and not to have anything between you and him so that he can speak to you this morning.